We are going to cover Galatians chapter 2 tonight, but let's open to Acts chapter 15 to begin with. We'll read verses 1 through 6 of that 15th chapter of Acts, so we can have a nice little context that we can consider um, what Paul is referring to as he's speaking here to the Galatian saints there. So let's turn to Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, and you can put a bookmark there and then be prepared to turn to the second chapter of Galatians. First, Acts 15, beginning in verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. Let's bow our heads together once again and ask the Lord to bless this lesson. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Father, that you are good enough to present to us an understanding of your word. And Father, you're good enough to hear our requests and our questions and our burdens. But Father, I thank you that you are good enough that when we would have our own desires be worked out, Lord, that you protect us from our own will. You protect us from our own choices so many times, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that you are kind enough to correct us when we would choose something different. Help us to yield. Help us to submit. And, Father, help us to learn how you think so we might not have to be changed so much. I praise you, Lord, for your word and your kindness in giving it. Bless us tonight. Help us to find satisfaction and comfort in your word and what you've given I praise you, Lord, and ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to kind of just jump through Galatians 2 tonight as we consider what Paul was presenting there. Uh, I didn't feel led to spend a lot of time on this chapter. Um, it's interesting that Paul did spend a third of this book, however, uh, speaking about his history and making some points before he got down to the meat of the subject with the Galatians. If you've read it for yourself, even if it, the first time you read it was in preparation for this study, then you've been, well, you have some understanding that what he's going to talk to them is about legalism and law keeping and putting one's stock into anything outside of just the simple grace of God as being the centerpiece of our Christian walk. Uh, but that being said, he, he takes some time here before he gets into it in earnest, and he presents a number of things. Uh, as we considered last week, that history lesson that Paul began in, in sharing with these Galatians, after Paul met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, we read about that in Acts chapter 9. I'm not going to turn there, but he says in, in chapter 1 and verse 16 of our of our uh, book of Galatians here, he said he didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. He went to Arabia for a time, then returned to Damascus, then to Jerusalem after three years. We read that in verses 17 through 19. 
Only at that time, only speaking with Peter and James, he makes it a point to specify that he didn't see any other apostles. Uh, He only visited with Peter and James, and Peter only for, well, a couple of weeks that he stayed with him. And then after that, he went to Syria and Cilicia. Uh, That's in verse 21 of chapter 1. Tarsus, we know, is the capital of that. And so he spent some time there during that time uh, while, while he was in that well, in that Galatian area, that place, that area of Tarsus, Barnabas went looking for him at that time. We read it in Acts chapter 11, but I'll flip there real quick. Acts 11, verse 25. Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And it was after that time, or after Barnabas had met up with Paul, after Paul had been across this region and spent some time in Cilicia and in Syria there that well he began his first what's commonly called his first missionary journey there and he went through the Galatian regions of in chapter 13 and 14 of the uh, book of Acts speaks at length about these different cities that he visited the different things that he did while he was there again I didn't feel led to cover all of those things but you can read them for yourself as Barnabas and Paul went through those different towns those different cities and established the word there and met with varying measures of success and uh, opposition there then they returned to Antioch in Acts chapter 15 where we just read in verse 1 a false doctrine had followed them to uh, to Antioch it says certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses you cannot be saved and so there's that fundamental issue there in Galatia in the uh, Galatian region there that fundamental issue that they were dealing with that unless you are well, this is just a sign of that commitment to that law of Moses, that picture that you have taken that Judaic law for one's self and have adhered yourself to keeping that law. I say you can't be saved unless you demonstrate that and present that. And Paul and Barnabas knew different, we understand. We know different. And Paul being the apostle that was given to the Gentiles to bring this grace message, well, we're very familiar with what he presented. And so after Paul, we understand, had received that very salvation that they were saying had to come from this law-keeping, this, this measure along with this measure of circumcision, he says, no, no, I know what salvation is. I have salvation. He knew he'd received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He knew that he'd received the message of grace. He knew that he'd been preaching that message for some 14 years. He was going to return to Jerusalem and he was going to bear witness to that fact. He was going to go tell those ones and express to those ones and, well, establish a relationship and a concrete unity with the, well, the church there in Jerusalem and the elders that were there. Now, well, we can turn to Galatians chapter 2 and see how he presents that. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1. Then after 14 years, he says, this being after After Barnabas came and found him, after they had uh, gone through Galatia, it says, After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. 
He says, I went up and I talked to these ones. You know, again speaking with James, again speaking with Peter, speaking with these elders that he had not met with at that time. It says that he spoke to them privately at this time. Now, I told you to keep your finger back in Acts chapter 15. It correlates there with, well, verses 4 and 5 of what we opened up with. When they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. They reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So it's marrying these things together so we can get a historical timeline in place here. And, and oftentimes you'll see this period of time, this account, this event here, referred to as the Jerusalem Council, when Paul came and finally had them all together as they were presented and said, this is who I am. This is what God has done for me. This is what God is doing in me. I'm presenting to you this whole concept of law keeping and somehow marrying what we were under before Christ and what we are now doing in Christ. They don't marry together. They don't marry together. These these. These apostles that had been with Jesus, heard his teaching, understood what he was doing in that day. He wanted to unify with these ones and have a central message, a pure and a complete and an agreed upon message. Now, I believe, and I'm not going to get into the weeds on this, but I believe that Paul took his time on that as we considered last week. Took his time, 14 14 years in going back and establishing that with them because he wanted to make plain to everyone, Galatians included. That's what his point is here. This is my ministry. This is my apostleship. This is my God-given place, God-given message apart from these apostles. I don't think it was uh, just a coincidence that they replaced Judas with Matthias so quickly that they didn't just... Why didn't they fold Paul into that? Why didn't the Lord assign him as the 12th apostle? Paul was separate. Paul had a separate ministry apart from that. Not that, they, not that they're wrong. Not that they were bad men. Not that they were you know, completely error-stricken. But the Lord had something for Paul. It was a new covenant, a new testament, a new grace message. It was something separate and apart. And he made sure that it was plain. And that's what Paul is spending this time well, telling and explaining to the Galatians, you might have wanted me. You might, you know, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself in my mind here. Let me say it this way. It might have served the Galatians. Well, they might have really preferred that Paul had gone to, well, the Jerusalem council early on and been sanctioned by these ones, been sanctioned by the elders who walked with Jesus, been sanctioned by these ones who who were the founding fathers of the church, and they might have been very satisfied, much more satisfied with that, if Paul had gone ahead. But Paul expressed to them, that's not what the Lord has for me. And that's not what the Lord has for you. It doesn't matter what we want sometimes. We just sang that song, Does Jesus Care When These Different Things Take Place? You know, when we have, when we fall to temptation, when our loved ones and our dear ones die, does Jesus care? Well, absolutely he does. Every time it goes up there and I see, does Jesus care? And Judah says, we're going to sing, does Jesus care? I want to say, yes, he does. Someday I will, maybe. You won't be surprised when I do it at that point. Yes, he does care. But there are times when we say, you know what, I think that, 
It would just make more sense if Paul was the twelfth apostle and he was established from the beginning and then he could come and give us the message knowing that he was established with these ones and he heard from them and he'd been taught with them. That would make much more sense. Does the Lord care? I say no, he doesn't. He doesn't care when we want things our way and things that make our, well, most sense to to us. Uh, He wants to do things in the way that's right. And he wants to do things in the way that's good, in the way that is holy and perfect. And so he set things aside despite what the Galatians would have liked to have heard. He says, this is separate. 14 years. 14 years Paul was on his own, essentially. Receiving, having received the word and sharing the word in his, well, in his relationship with the Lord. By the leading of the Spirit and so on and so forth. So... Here he comes after these 14 years, however, and as the Lord led him, he says, okay, we're going to establish things and we're going to get unity here because there's a mixed message that's going out. And somewhere in between those in Jerusalem and myself, well, there are a lot lot of people moving around here, a lot of moving parts in here saying that so-and-so said this and -and so-and-so said this and and we need to keep the law and trust Jesus and and we need to lean more. Let's just get this all established and get this all straight. And so... That's what they did in Acts chapter 15. Peter bore witness of his own working with the Gentiles, his own testimony of how God had ministered through him. We know about the story of Cornelius and, and, and when the Spirit fell on these ones and they heard, after they'd heard about the Lord Jesus and had well, been established there, Paul, uh, Peter, well, Peter ministered to those ones. And Paul and Barnabas bore witness for themselves in Acts chapter 15 and verse 12. I'm not going to turn there, but they gave their own witness there. And so then the council gave their own ruling. Ultimately, they said, listen, we did not send direction to teach the law. This is not what we said. You can look at that in verse 24 of Acts chapter 15. Then Paul and Silas, uh, they were sent with, well, with their blessing to minister the one true messenger. Not Paul and Silas, but Paul and Barnabas there in Acts chapter 15. And verse 25, they said, go on, go on and take this message. We're with you. We are in agreement. Christ is the center. His grace message is what we're on board with. This is what we want. You know, we have so many denominations these days. You have different people, you know, go to church. Yeah, I do. What faith are you? Uh, I hate that question. I hate that question, you know, because I don't. You know, you can come off as real snooty, but it's not snooty. It's Bible. When you look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, one body, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one true faith, and that's faith in the Lord Jesus and understanding his word rightly divided. As the spirit gives you understanding, as you seek the, the word for yourself and rightly divided, he gives you truth and understanding. All of this denominations and all these different faiths and different religions and all these things all under the banner of Christianity. And so much of it has very, very little truly Christian about it. So much of it is, is falsehood and, and, well, we do things this way. But, you know, as long as you get there, as long as you just, I disagree I disagree. There's one Lord and there's one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And there are some important things and important doctrines that the Lord wants us to lay hold of so that we might lay hold of the Lord Jesus. And so it was important. It was important for Paul at this point when the Lord led him to come here and say, listen, there's a mixed message coming. There's a mixed message going out and they're attributing things to you and they're attributing things to me. So they came together. And Acts chapter 15 again records that. They sent a letter out and said, he has his message and and we're blessing this. We're on board with this. We're sanctioning this, you could say. 
uh, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9. I think that that, I think that that counsel ended up joyfully, right? When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. That's a blessed moment there. I'm sure that Paul was quite satisfied with that. You know, it's not, he recognized who he was and he understood who he was. And he wanted to express to the Galatians and others that, listen, it doesn't matter necessarily what you say. I know who I am and I know what the Lord has done with me, in me, and what he has planned for me. But when those ones who are dear to you, when those ones who are, well, in the household of faith with you, when those ones who are in authority and can impact others with the word, the good word, or they can impact others for the worse, aren't you satisfied when they say, yes, we're in agreement? Man, I am. Man, when, when, when you make a point from the pulpit and someone says, amen, there's an encouragement there. That's, that's looking at it very, very simply. There's an encouragement there because like someone agrees. It makes sense. And they're like, yes, this is, this is true. When I'm sitting, well, I've had the opportunity. It's been nice to sit in a, in a pew. Not belittling by any means, but it's nice to sit in a, in a pew once a week. And, man, when I, when I hear something that stirs my heart, it doesn't matter how long I've heard it. I'm in agreement. And I, it's nice to agree. And it's nice to say, yes, this is, that's the truth. And, and you agree with it. Paul must have been joyful. It must have been joyful for everyone who was involved for them to say, yes, we are in agreement here the apostles they desired the message of jesus to reach everyone they would have been joyful paul heard that confirmation that what he had received from these ones who were authorities in the lord yeah this is the truth there would have been joy there now we made it a point to say they didn't add anything to me make no mistake galatians they didn't sit and say well you're pretty good but you know what you need to start teaching this and this and you need they didn't add anything to my doctrine what I know is what I know. They didn't, they didn't make, well, they didn't boost anything. I didn't have anything to learn. As haughty as that might sound, it's not what he was being. He wasn't being haughty. He wasn't added to by those ones who were pillars of the church. But they were in agreement with him, these ones who walked with Jesus. And so that's what Paul was expressing to these ones. He was the apostle. His message was in alignment with the Lord, number one, confirmed by the Spirit, number one. And now it was in line and confirmed and in affirmation with these ones who had walked with the Lord and were the establishing, well, part of the founding fathers, if you want to say that. I'm careful in saying that. Founding fathers of that early church. And so it would have been joyful. Uh, he was God's man with God's message, with or without these ones, but it was a good moment when they would express that, indeed, they were in agreement. Now, unfortunately, Paul had the occasion to demonstrate that, well, that agreement doesn't always, well, doesn't always express itself very cleanly, doesn't always, well, there's not always that perfect fellowship that we would desire, and we see that in Galatians chapter 2, stepping down to verse 11. Uh, Paul was God's man. He had God's message with or without them. And so he had to express that even without them, he needed to stand for the truth. It's that disappointing account we read of Peter there in verse 11. Uh, Now, when Peter had come to Antioch in Galatians 2 verse 11, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. 
Poor Peter takes a beating whenever we bring him up in Scripture, it seems. I always want to make sure that I say, don't forget, don't forget how he turned out. Don't forget, Peter, Peter was a, uh, his testimony was a wonderful one. Uh, certainly his flaws were on, well, on display in a manner that I don't think many of us will ever have to endure. His flaws have been on display for generations. But I think if you ask Brother Peter today, he'd be grateful for that uh, and that he could help and, and encourage someone to not make the errors that he made. But this was an error that he made. When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. What did Peter do? For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. Before these ones came down from Jerusalem, he would sit down with the Gentiles, as was not what he was intended to do if he was to adhere to the Jewish customs. It was an unclean type of thing, but he would sit down and eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision, who were law keepers themselves. It seemed that Peter feared with these Jews from Jerusalem, well, how they would frown upon him sitting down with these ones and eating with the Gentiles. So when they came, he removed himself, and suddenly his actions were different as those ones were there watching him. Now, that's not how Jesus did, right? Mark chapter 2 and verse 16. Just one account that's one record of the Lord Jesus sitting despite what others might have thought. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I was having a conversation just before church service, and this passage came up. And let me just... Let me just express what, what, first off, what this is saying here. Does this mean that Jesus sat down with everyone wallowing in sin and encouraged them and affirmed their sinfulness? What does he say here? It's important that we get this, saints. It's important that we get that when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. What was he doing when he sat down with them? High-fiving? Handshaking? Celebrating? No, he was trying to heal them. He was addressing their, well, their need for a physician. He was there. Well, let's just say this. When they used to call 911 and I show up on an ambulance, I, I didn't typically show up. We'd have block parties and stuff where they'd call us out. You know, we go out there and they'd give us a hot dog or something like that. But when they called 911, when I was there for, uh, to take care of them on a paramedical type uh, Well, in that role, I wasn't checking the fridge when I got there. I wasn't cutting up with them and telling jokes typically. If it was serious and there was an emergency and I was there as a paramedic, I was there to take care of business, sticking them with needles and giving them medications and stuff. Jesus is saying here, now while there was kindness and there was grace and there were all of these things, Jesus first and foremost was there to be a physician. He was there because they were ill. And he was there to present himself as the healer for that situation. He wasn't there in order to satisfy everyone around them and, and well, carry himself in a way that pleased anyone. He pleased his father first and foremost. He was among them calling for them to repent is what he was doing. Uh, Jesus wasn't among the sinners sinning. 
I have in my notes. He wasn't among them to affirm them in their sin. He was among them calling for their repentance. And just as with that woman with the issue of blood, power was flowing out from him and defilement was not coming in. So there was a difference when he was standing there. He was right in that, uh, despite how loud or outspoken the opposition might have been. Now, Peter had foregone that opportunity to be an, an example, a testimony to those ones. And those Gentiles, they weren't unclean and of themselves if they were believers. Paul was, or Peter was sitting down there and they were having a time of fellowship, as was completely what we're called to do in this church age. We're called to fellowship with one another. Uh, and despite what Peter knew and despite what he'd seen and despite what he'd even preached uh, on the subject, he'd seen it confirmed in Paul and knew that what he was doing was certainly not just not just permissible under under the grace message, but advisable. What we're called to do. Uh, he was afraid of living that truth entirely in that moment. It seems, and so Paul called him out. I mean, it just it simply is what it is. How often is it that God's people are afraid of living out the truth fully? Very often, saints, and that's a sad thing. Sad thing, but you understand it. You probably experienced it yourself. I know that I have. Yeah actually are afraid to take a stand because of the repercussions that might come. Well, Paul corrected Peter on that. It's an unfortunate thing. He had to remind him what he spoke to those Romans in Romans 1 verse 16. When he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Not by the law, not by law keeping or those sorts of things, but by simply trusting the Lord and abiding in His word. And Paul was telling Peter, you didn't abide in this moment. And Paul knew that the damage that could be done was substantial there. He recognized that Peter was one who carried a testimony, who carried some weight in his testimony, who carried some... Well, he was one who seemed to be a pillar, as he said in chapter 2 there. Uh, unfortunately, you see the results of, of Peter's decision, right? Verse 13, back in our text passage, And the rest of the Jews, what? Also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas, even that one who traveled with Paul and heard the word, spoke the word, preached the word, he wasn't just kowtowing to Paul and just falling around on his coattails. Barnabas was a man of God. And Barnabas recognized the truth of the grace message, but even he was carried away with their hypocrisy. Saints, our testimony is a substantial one. Even if you don't feel like you have much of an impact, our testimony is substantial because we are children of the Most High God. And if we bear that out, if we speak that out, and you know, I'm not telling you, some might say, well, the safest thing to do is just not let anybody know, and then there's no expectations. Well, that's not how it's supposed to be either. Uh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, right? So if we're going to say so, can we not live so? Well, yes. Yes, we should. And we can. Uh, the rest of those ones played the hypocrite with him, unfortunately. That even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. What of those Gentiles that Peter was sitting with before? How were they supposed to feel? Man, I can sit and get a real bleeding heart. <laughs> I've been in the situation when I was a kid where, you know, that man back in middle school, middle schoolers are cruel. I and mean, they, they just have a capability that's just you know, beyond their years, I think. 
But, you know, there were times when, you know, your normal crowd that you might be sitting with probably shouldn't have been the crowd you should have been sitting with in the first place. But they're sitting with you or something like that. And then all of a sudden, one day at lunch, they just get, well, you're the pariah for whatever reason. And next thing you know, your table's empty and you're sitting there or else there's three, you know, you never had an empty table in Kingsville. You only had 20 kids in the whole in the whole school. <laughs> so, you know, they live, they, they leave. You know, four people, four spaces here and four spaces here, and all of a sudden you're sitting there all by yourself. It, it's a crummy feeling. It feels bad. You know, I can get real bleeding hard about that if, if we wanted to. But now take the spiritual element to it. Peter left those ones and didn't sit with those ones, didn't eat with those ones. Now he's removed himself from them. What are they to think? The testimony of Paul's word of what Peter had been preaching. What does that mean now that Peter is not living this out that he had made such a point to speak of such a point to join himself to such a point to to identify man our hypocrisy is easy to see it is so easy to i mean i've told the story man babies can see hypocrisy and they know when you say do this and then you're not doing it yourself they can see it at a very tender age even when we don't want to see it ourselves there's power in our testimony for better or for worse The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. Through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. Don't destroy our our neighbor, saints. We need to make sure that we hold fast to those things that we know to be so. Uh, Our hypocrisy is visible, and people will certainly lean into that faster than they'll lean into your testimony of faithfulness. That's just how it is. They will watch you fail much, much quicker than they watch you find victory. So we just have to hit them with... Quantity of victories <laughs> and less quantity of failing. Watch for our hypocrisy. Jesus himself said it. Do not be like the hypocrites. And he said it a number of different times. For time's sake, I'll move on forward and not consider what Jesus was saying there. But we know that Peter's testimony was so public. And because his testimony was so public and because he had such a place as he did, when he made the error as public as he did, Paul needed to address it publicly. Sometimes that is with those in authority. God sets an authority over his churches, over his assemblies, over those sorts of things. Sometimes they have to make decisions such as that. And Paul made that decision. He said, I withstood him to his face simply because he, well, he was to be blamed. In verse 14, it says there in the New King James, it says, I saw that they were not straightforward. The Old King James, I think it says that they didn't walk uprightly. They're both correct, actually, and honestly, they're both correct both literally and figuratively. They weren't straightforward with it. They weren't completely honest with it, and in doing so, they weren't very upright in it either. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before all of them, before them all, quite publicly, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jew, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? You're being a hypocrite, Peter. He called him out and he did so in front of everybody. My goodness, what a jerk that Paul was. No, no, it wasn't being a jerk. And I actually felt kind of checked in saying saying it so clearly like that. He wasn't being a jerk. Paul didn't relish this opportunity, I don't believe, to dress down Peter. Did he take this up? You know, there are certain ones, certain people, you might know them yourself. I hope that you're not one of those ones who sit and say, you know what, I have authority. I'm in a place where I can, you know, affect this person's life. And that feels good. 
I'm going to do it. I've known a ton of people like this who just stepped on people because they could. And it was just pleasing to them. I don't think that Paul took this opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to put Peter in his place so everyone knows I'm the man. Peter is here, me. That's not what Paul was doing. Paul recognized, <laughs> Paul recognized that if someone needs this kind of correction, it means that there's an issue there. Do you think Paul wanted issues in the church? Do you think Paul wanted problems? I think that he always wanted to correct and to teach where correction and teaching was needed. But do you think that he wanted correction and teaching to be needed, to where discipline needed to take place? I'll tell you, absolutely not. I wish my kids would have never had to be disciplined. <laughs> I wish. They're still being disciplined. You know, it just is what it is. That's not true. Uh, yes, it is, actually. I'm, <laughs> I digress. I digress. It would be really nice if they just took care of themselves. And you could just have conversations with them, right? It would be nice if you could just have conversations with your kids from this time to me. Be good. Say please. Say thank you. Good job. Now uh, you say, may I do this or that? Now we're going to eat this and not eat that. And we're going to go to bed at this certain time. And you're going to talk nicely and politely. And okay, okay. That kind of teaching is fantastic. No! Man, that is not pleasant. It just isn't. You will take that opportunity to correct as it's needed, but don't you wish that it never had to take place? I am. My dad used to tell me a story about this, this guy that grandpa told him the story. The kid was playing with fire or something like that and burned down his barn, Marshfield, Missouri, or somewhere thereabouts, where you know a barn full of hay was your sustenance for your cattle. And he burned down the entire barn, burned all of that, that winter's hay. It was gone instantly, just like that. And so the dad took a piece of barbed wire and whipped his kid with it. You know, that's, that's horrifying, obviously. And that's one of those times where I'm not condoning that by any means. I'm not saying it, but that's what he did. He was correcting him in the only way, I guess, that he could come up with. It was one of those things where if it were me, I'd just be like, what do you do? I mean, it was something so egregious, something so with such horrifying outcome you wish such things would never happen, right? So you teach them so that those things don't take place. Paul didn't relish taking barbed wire to Peter. You know, he didn't do it with malice by any means. But I've been chastised publicly in various contexts, and you know it feels crummy, right? It feels bad. How do you think Peter took it? I'm going to tell you, Peter's my hero because I think he took it well. He doesn't say, I chastised Peter to his face. I mean, that guy pushed back on me and we separated fellowship. And we No, no, it doesn't. We don't see that at all. There was an issue and Paul took care of the issue. And whatever the situation might have been on Peter's side, whatever his thoughts were, we know that, well, Paul didn't revel in that authority. He corrected. And we know how... Peter turned out. If you turn to, I'm not going to have you turn there, I'll read it to you. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Coming to Christ as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says unity is important. This is him near the end of his life, Peter. Coming to the end of his ministry. Unity is important and togetherness is valid. And we need to have this coming together as a holy priesthood. Uh, offering ourselves as spiritual sacrifices and, and stones in the house of God. 
And he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, in verse 11, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. What a hypocrite! His good works before the Gentiles? Are you kidding me? He stepped away from them, right? Was Peter being a hypocrite? No, I don't believe so. You can look in 2 Peter chapter 3. Consider the long-suffering of our Lord as salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom, wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, he says, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Peter, now this was probably some years after, certainly, I mean, if you want to take the dating that the historians have put on it, and certainly we can look at all the events, how it took place. This was some time after. But Peter took that correction from Paul. Called him beloved. And you recognize that correction. Recognize that it was necessary and that it was needed. And he didn't get hypocritical with these ones when he said, Glorify the Lord and make your testimony count before these ones who are looking at you as an example. That's what he was telling them. Different ones will take the things that Paul says according to the wisdom given to him. Who was he given it by? The Lord, of course. Uh, Beloved brother Paul, also in all his epistles, difficult things to understand. But certainly they're not always, well, they're not so difficult to understand that we can't carry them out. And execute those things. And he gave a hard confirmation of his opinion of that man Paul. Paul's doctrine. And Paul's epistles being scripture. I think that Paul's unwillingness to accept Peter's hypocrisy. His unwillingness to accept that danger that it presented to those ones that he was ministering to. Helped Peter to understand his error and become the man of victory that he ended up being. I believe that with all my heart. I think that the testimony is there with Peter. And I'm grateful that Paul was unwilling just to sit and just coalesce to those, whatever was going on back here. Ah, you know what? It, Peter knows what he's doing. I don't, I don't want to stir the water here. I don't, I don't want to chop things up here. Peter, Peter's Peter, and you know, I don't want to rock the waves. I've got them support. No. Paul took a stand in faith and even looked Peter, Peter in the eye. Peter! I mean, consider the man stood before Jesus and he had authority. And Paul called him out and Peter recognized it and was blessed by it. We're blessed by it. Sometimes we need to be called out, saints, like Peter. Sometimes we need to be called out like the Galatians are going to be next week when we get into chapter 3. What's the very first verse? The very first verse of chapter 3. Let me read it to you. O foolish Galatians! <laughs> Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Why did Paul give this whole history lesson here? Well, because he said, if I can talk to Peter and say, what are you thinking, Peter? You who had Jesus standing right before you, understanding what he was trying to do, what he did, and yet... You're doing this and you're being this hypocrite and you're carrying people away. He demonstrated who he was in the Lord. He demonstrated the strength he had in the Lord. He demonstrated the authority that was given to him by the Lord so that these Galatians, 
if they wanted truly to serve the Lord as this law-giving and law-keeping was supposed to and purported to have suggested that they would be that much stronger in faith, if they really wanted to be the people of God that they purported to be, well, then they should recognize Him as the authority that He actually was and be ready to hear the correction that He had and to lose the hypocrisy that they were presenting so freely. I could keep on going into chapter 3, but why don't you read chapter 3 for next week, and we'll return to that when we get back together next Wednesday.